For those of you that are joining us online, we just want to say thank you so much. And um, as our pastor gets ready to kind of come and bring the message, he's been teaching a series on rest. Um, we're on part four. If you have missed some of those, you can um, catch up and keep up to date and keep pace with us at DothanChristianFellowship.com. And so while he's getting ready to come, we just welcome you. Thank you so much for being a part of this house and who we are. And we just say we love you. And I just want to introduce our pastor. Um, it is David Hale. And I also have the wonderful privilege of being married to him. And so thanks so much, guys. Somebody responded. I like that. And good morning to everybody who's joining us online. We're so glad you guys are with us. Um, like Karen was saying, I am actually going to be finishing up a series today on rest. Um, we've been talking uh, when COVID-19 uh, first kicked in and we had to kind of uh, isolate. And we were at home and preaching from the house, which was really challenging because I was preaching to the back of an iPhone as opposed to seeing people's faces. And so that wasn't a lot of fun, but I adjusted. Um, but we started with um, this, this whole thing called disruption. So I, I preached a, a four-week series on disruption. And the, one of the biggest things was in a, in a disruption, it's different than an interruption in the sense that an interruption, you, you're interrupted and you go right back to where you started from. In a disruption, you, you are interrupted and you can't go back to where you started from. Everything changed. And so I don't know if you're aware of that, but that's how things have kind of happened with us. Uh, on the heels of that, of course, um, a bit of a... Uh, protesting and writing, um, going after some injustice in the world, which we're always happy to, to be a part of. Uh, we, we go after justice in every way because God is a God of justice. We were just actually singing about that a little bit. And so um, we went after this thing about disruption and just reminding us, whatever life was before, it's going to be different as we move forward. Whatever church was before, it's going to be different as we move forward. And I talked for about four weeks on focus and how one of the things that happens when disruption comes is it, it tries to steal, the enemy tries to steal your, your focus away and, and get you distracted into all the things that the world, you know, the pandering oftentimes of the fear of the world from the media and from political parties, all those things kind of happen. And it's trying to, the enemy's always trying to get our focus off what was the most important that, you know, thing that God had us worrying, uh, working on and busy doing. And, uh, and hopefully that's kind of how we live our life. We're, we're aimed for something. We're focused on something. And we talked about how the kingdom that God had, you know, was establishing uh, what Jesus came to establish in the kingdom of God. He was restoring everything that was in the garden. And all the things that we lost in the garden, he was restoring all those things. And the, and the whole point behind focusing on that is moving forward into the very thing that God has for you. And, and to do, do the God thing, right? That's something we went after. And then we talked about rest and how in the process of this, so often we get worked up. Especially, you know, the enemy's plan, big picture, isolate us, you know, make us kind of by ourselves, which I don't know if you know um, or not, but you were never meant to be by yourself. Even, even people, you know, that my wife is an extrovert, and so uh, she likes to be around people. It's a really big deal, and it's, and it's serious. Like, she goes too long without being around people. It really, really messes with her. Her batteries get, uh, you know, just lose their charge. So getting around people charges that up. But even introverts who, you know, being, being kind of, for lack of a better term, alone, not lonely, but alone, that, that kind of charges your battery. But how many of you guys know, if, especially if you're an introvert, um, there's only so much charge the battery can get before poof, 
<laughs> right? It just starts exploding. So even introverts in this world were ch- really challenged. So we came into this, this series on rest with this intention of reminding us that what God has, in, has for us and the intention behind us, uh, what he has for us was really spelled out in the garden before sin ever occurred. And that picture was this continual state of blessing and fruitfulness. And so we talked about, I'm just going to recap a bit through this last message, but again, this big picture, hopefully you're seeing this over the last couple of months, is the Lord is very intentional about what he's going after. Um, First of all, to remind us, to get us back on track. You know, the enemy tries to distract us with all the challenges that the world has to offer, and there's some new ones, uh, admittedly. Um, But very quickly, when you focus back on, well, what is it that God has me on about? What am I supposed to be on about? And when you know that, everything that happens around you, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you have to make some adjustments, obviously. You have to transition into some things. We talked about that in in that first series. But at at some point, you you settle on what it is that God has in your life and what he's doing, and you get busy doing that. The only problem is the world wants to come and tells you that you must work harder, right? That now that you know what it is that you're supposed to be doing, man, you need to get busy doing it and, you know, and don't, don't, Slack, don't be a slacker, you know, and, and so we get this sense of, um, I've got to move forward, especially in our culture. And so we talked about how in the garden, um, the Bible talks about man begins his work after God has finished his. In other words, you know, there's a picture of, of six days, God creates um, humanity, he create, well, he creates um, the world, and then on the sixth day, he creates man, and the Bible says he gives him something to do, so he says, hey, you know, uh, tend the garden, he, he, uh, he talks talk to him about defining the animals, so he gives him the power to define in any place he has authority. That's good news for parents. That's good news for people who lead businesses and community leaders. It's good news for parents, right? You get to define in the area God has given you authority and responsibility. And so he's doing that. He's, he's getting ready to do that. But what the Bible says is as soon as God tells him what to do, he rests from his labor. And we talked about how he wasn't resting because he was tired. But so often we rest because we're tired. Now, don't get me wrong, as long as we live in this fallen world, there's going to be an aspect of that that we have to deal with. We just get tired. We just, our bodies run down. Even Jesus, the Bible said, went away to rest. So that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is too often what we do is we're always playing catch up from what the world has thrown at us, what has come at us, rather than getting on the front side and resting as they did in the garden with God, resting before they went to work. So what would it look like if on a Sunday morning, for example, or a Sunday afternoon, um, your Sabbath, this word that we've been talking about, that's Sabbath, number seven, and rest, all the uh, same word in the Hebrew, what would it look like if you rested, if you walked with God in the cool of the day? So what would God talk about if you walked with him in the cool of the day? So here's the thing. Um, when we pray, often what we do is we pray, and then we stop. We pray, and we say a bunch of words, and we stop, and then we go about our business and think we've prayed, but we've only prayed halfway, Would you agree? So there's an aspect of at some point the Lord is wanting to answer the prayer. When you're walking with him in the cool of the day, think of that as prayer. You know, I I pray oftentimes when I'm driving, just close my eyes and lift my hands, sing Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Right? I hope you don't do that. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. So how do you pray without ceasing? Because, again, we get these religious ideas in our head that prayer is, you know, hold our hands like this or like this, kneel down. Um, I, I learned a long, long time ago that I don't like to kneel when I pray. I know it's so sacrilegious thinking of your pastor not kneeling as he prays. It's like something about that is just you're just, you know, rebellious, Dave. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not saying there's no truth in that. But what I discovered is that that, that, that 
imposed that position of surrender is something I've taken in my heart a long, long time ago. So that's never been an issue with me of surrender to God. So that kneeling in a, in a symbolic sense, I do that all the time. And so the Bible says pray without ceasing. The whole idea behind this is that you as a believer are to live a life from rest as you walk with God in the cool of the day, as, you, as, as, as you've been discipled as a believer that you've learned the nature and the kindness and the goodness of God, those, the, the kindness, the nature, the aspects of God are settled in you to the point where it's no longer something you have to think about. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a process of growth where the world gives, and we talked about this in the series, that the world gives these indications that all, that all things are not what they should be. And so you have to make a decision about who God is, who he's revealed himself to be, and decide on whether he's good or not. We covered this last week. If God isn't good, then none of this is going to make any difference, right? Because he's, he's just waiting up there with a hammer for you to screw up and squash, right? Like, remember, uh, remember the, uh, the, old, the old cartoon where God's sitting in front of the keyboard and he's only got, got one button on the keyboard and the button is called smite? And he's just, you know, every time he sees you, that's kind of how people see God sometimes. But if you ascribe to him who he is and who God, who the scripture reveals him to be, his nature, right, his character, if you ascribe to him glory, if you ascribe to him goodness, all you're doing is just, you're just repeating back to him who he really is. But if you ascribe to him something else, then what you do is you find yourself falling out of alignment with God. And so the Bible talks about the word sin in the original language literally means to miss the mark. In other words, God has an intention for your life. He has an intention for your marriage. He has an intention for your parenting, for your business, for our nation. He has an intention for everything in, in this world. He has an intention. And his intention ultimately in the beginning, the Bible says, was to create this place, this 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 permanent position of rest. And in the fall, we lost that, right? But in Jesus coming back and Jesus dying on the cross, what we lost in the garden, he restored in the garden of Gethsemane and then ultimately on the cross. And so any place where we weren't able to walk, any sin that was in the way of any missing of the mark, God has taken all of that way. All the potential for missing the mark has been removed by Jesus dying on the cross and making that exchange for sin. So then what does that look like? It looks like now you can walk in your life in whatever season of life you are and not miss the mark. So in other words, this is what religion too often does, is we focus on the missing of the mark and don't talk enough about what the mark actually is. Right, in Jesus' intention, the Bible says in Hebrews that uh, it talks about Jesus being the preeminent um, revealer of God's nature, his goodness, his character, everything about him. The Bible says that in, in other times, God spoke through the prophets, and it talks about all these different ways, through the angels, through the, through the, um, you know, the, the patriarchs, and then it says, but in these last days, he's spoken, he's, he's, he's revealed God, he's revealed the Father through the Son. And so Jesus is, someone says, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the character of God. Jesus is all of that. And so we get to see what it looks like. And so what does Jesus do? The Bible says on a regular basis, he went away, right? Not just to rest, sometimes he did that, but he always went away to spend time with God so that when he started something the next day, he had, he had been walking with his father in the cool of the day. Does that make sense? And so that what that turns into is now, all of a sudden, you know what your week looks like. Doesn't mean that things aren't going to change sometimes and, and need adjustment. But if you go into your week, if you go into your year, what if you went into your marriage? What if you went into parenting? 
knowing what the mark was. And then any fine-tuned adjustments that were needed were, were created through an, an on-demand relationship with the Father walking with Him in the cool of the day. Every single day, and of course, you know, whatever that week looks like as you go forth. So this is rhythm of always being in tune, always knowing what the mark is. And that's God's intention. But it wasn't a place. The garden wasn't a place so much as it was a, this sense, this continual um, experience of rest and fruitfulness. From the rest came the fruitfulness. And so we talked about that. And we talked about um, sweating. You know, like um, there's this passage in Ezekiel talking about the priests, and it says they must not wear anything that makes them sweat. So when they're ministering to God, there's this picture of we can do all the works that we do, everything that we're, you know, we're trying to reach God. And that's what re- religion really is defined ultimately as, you, as mankind trying to reach God. Christianity, what we see Scripture reveals about who God is and who Jesus is and what he did, is God revealing himself to man. Two different directions. So here's the thing. You have to make a decision. Are you going to create God in your image whether that's a, your version of a Christian God, you know, is he a Presbyterian God, is he a Baptist God, is he a, Pente- is he a Pentecostal Jesus? Is he a black Jesus, is he a white Jesus, is he a Jewish Jesus? Which Jesus, which Jesus do you have, right? So, and that's, it sounds terrible, but it's, but it's absolutely true, and you run across it all the time. People create a Jesus that they can control, that they can manipulate, a Jesus that's not angry with them about their pet sin, you know, I can do these things, and uh, Jesus is all right with it, you know. Remember, uh, we... we <laughs> I make a joke of this in culture all the time, but the but but the ballad of uh, Ricky Bobby. Anybody? Don't raise your hand if you watch that movie. Just don't raise your hand. It's not worth it. Nobody needs to know. <laughs> but remember, he prays to the he prays to the baby Jesus because he likes the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus doesn't create any responsibility for Ricky Bobby, right? <laughs> so, so that's the Jesus he wants. And as silly as that sounds, it's it's really a, a, a tremendous kind of commentary on our culture, especially Christian and culture and church culture. So this idea that somehow you have to work to do the works of God, the Bible says the work of God, not the works of God, but the work of God is to believe on the one he sent, which is Jesus. So it turns out the work that you have, you can't sweat doing it. If you're going to work in the kingdom, it's not that you don't perspire having heard what the Lord said and then going to do it. What you can't work doing is getting the revelation. You can't work at saying this is what it's going to be. I'm going to create, I'm going to, I'm going to pull myself by, up by my own bootstraps, I'm going to get this thing done. If you're doing that, and, and what you're ultimately doing is you're, you have a religion that you invite God in periodically when it suits you. And the difference is what God is after is a relationship that's built out of love, first of all, a passion and a heart for you. Because here, think about this. On your worst day, on your worst day, Jesus had already died for you. So it can't be about, I'm going to do better so, so God will love me. If you got that in your head, that's a religious, that's a religious lie, it's, and it's insidious from the ground up. And that's why we keep coming back to this. You can't sweat. It's, it can't be about works. If you are doing works towards God, for God, then you're sweating, as it were, in ministry, trying to sweat. And the Bible says those priests were not allowed to sweat. Why? They were coming into tune with God, into alignment with God, saying, God, what are you doing? And I'm going to be about that, about his business. Jesus said it this way. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're going to cover this scripture in just a second. And it goes on to say, take my yoke upon, upon you. 
right? And so we're going to get into that in a second. But here's what Jesus is saying. He is actually the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who came. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's actually the Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to get into that in just a second. We talked about the, the core underlying truth, though, is if God's not good, then none of this matters. And we, we made a statement. It says, I can only abide in rest when I know he is unchangingly good. Why? Because if you don't know that, if you, don't, if you haven't discovered that in your life, if you haven't come to that revelation, then every single time circumstances tell you something different, you will flip-flop in your faith. And James speaks to that. He says, he says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And he says, and don't expect to, to receive anything from God if you're double-minded. He wasn't being mean or mean-spirited. What he was just saying is that if you live in that kind of pattern, then you're not going to see God move on your behalf because one day you believe he is good, the next day you believe he's not because circumstances have told you something different. In Hebrews, we're going to get to this in a minute, but Hebrews said some of those people died having not received the promise. But their faith was always in this is who God is, even if I haven't seen the complete fruit of it. And so we're going we're gonna to get into that. So let me just kind of introduce this last part. I'm, I'm not going to take very long in this last part of it, just kind of wrap everything up. But I want to introduce the concept of an oxymoron. Has anybody heard of an oxymoron? So I'm going to just give you a definition. It's a figure of speech containing words that seem to contradict each other. You see this often in Scripture. You see uh, sometimes Scripture seems to contradict itself. And so that was one of the first discoveries that, you know, said people said you can't trust the Bible because it contradicts itself. Because, you know, faith versus works. And so they would go through this list of things. What I learned, and, this, and we've taught into this, and so you can go back and review some of our messages, but we talked about how those truths are held in tension between one another. They don't stand alone. It's not one or the other. It's both in tension. And understanding the tension is what, what helps you understand Scripture. So let me just give you some examples of oxymorons. Alone together. Act naturally. Bittersweet. Jumbo shrimp. Airplane food. <laughs> Definitely not food. Here's some quotes. Um, one of my favorites is Yogi Berra. If you ever, if you've never heard of Yogi Berra, he look him up. He's hilarious. Um, but there's several of them. Here's one from Mark Twain. I can resist everything but temptation. <laughs> Sounds like Mark Twain. Here's a uh, Dolly Parton. One of my favorite quotes. You'd be surprised how much it costs to look this cheap. <laughs> This is from our president before he was the president. He says, the budget was unlimited, but I exceeded it. <laughs> Yogi Bear, again, one of my favorites. No one goes to that restaurant anymore. It's always too crowded. <laughs> Here's some just anonymous ones. You've heard these. Um, uh, you know, uh, this one's my, one of my favorites about computers. It's kind of older now, but it's click the start button to shut down the computer. So if you're a Mac guy, you don't have to worry about that. But any, all you PC guys, it just makes no sense. It's a whole other sermon series. And then here's one of my favorites. from It's anonymous. Thank God I'm an atheist. <laughs> my joke is always, you know, what, ha what what's so terrible about being an atheist is when something good happens, you have no one to thank. You know, that's, but that's another day. So Hebrews 11, Hebrews 4.11 is kind of an example of this oxymoron, this seemingly contradicting thing, and it involves rest. And this is what I want to focus on as we kind of finish up our time together. Uh, Hebrews 4.11, this is in the ESV. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may, be fa may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So it's talking about the Sabbath rest. And so if you go back and study it, it's talking about Israel and the nation in Israel, the Bible says, was given an example for us. But strive to enter rest. Think about that for a second. Those are contradictory terms, seemingly. Work really hard to not work hard. 
right? So I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, that is not an accident that God put it in that way. So what does that mean? And so there's a lot of commentary on this and about, you know, the kingdom come, the kingdom not yet. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, but let me just define striving. This help us kind of clarify it. it. Striving literally means to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. Strive to go for it with all, all your strength. To struggle or, or fight vigorously, right? You must work harder, brother. That's striving, right? That's just so challenging. Um, but here's the difference. The difference between what the world thinks of as striving and in this particular passage is there's a difference between living towards rest, right, and living from rest. So we talked a little bit about that and intimated about that, that live, if, you're, if you're striving for rest, if you're trying to get rest, what usually happens is you're working really, really hard to get to the weekend, right? which is the way we, we typically do it in the world and oftentimes even in the church. And so you, you, know, you work really, really hard and you get to the weekend and if the weekend doesn't go just like you thought it should, man, you're supremely disappointed, right? And rightfully so. But what would it look like if you worked from rest, right? If you lived your whole life from rest. You came from a place where I'm good, you know? My soul, what's the old, uh, the old hymn? My soul, right? So... so it is well with my soul, right? So there, there's, there's so many, and there's so many of those sermons that speak to this place of when you discover who Jesus really is, your striving stops, right? Because here's, because a lot of this is we're striving to be good. If there's any conscience in us, and, you know, we in the South tend to have a little more conscience than most for some reason. Part of that is, you know, it's just we were raised right. Let's just be honest, right? <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I have to go there. But, but, but the culture is recognizing something, right? So there's this, this sense of we're, if we're striving for rest, then we actually never obtain the very thing we're striving so hard to get, right? Because we're trying to get a rest that actually, according to Scripture, doesn't even actually exist. We're trying to get something, this rest from our labors. And really, in a lot of ways, it's, it's ultimately a rest from responsibility, Right? But, but that, again, that, that's determined by you thinking that it's all on you to get it done, right? So the moment you understand that God has put this, in, this thing called rest into place, this thing called grace, this recognition that from, the Bible says, from the foundations of time, before the foundations of time, the lamb was slain, that this whole plan that we're walking through, this worldview that we have, has been settled in heaven before earth or time or this world even existed. God had a plan, and he's working out that plan. Nothing is surprising God. I always love it when people talk about the devil and God as if they're yin and yang, if they're good and evil. And that's not at all what the biblical perspective or worldview places it. God is above everything. The Bible says he is the creator. Everything below that is the created, including the enemy. So you hear people say all the time, and they're good questions, they're worth working out, but, but too often we just give up because we, we don't really like the answers that are potentially coming. For example, we say, well, if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? If God's so good, why does he let evil occur? Really good question, right? It's been asked for thousands of years, and it turns out God answers it. And here's the short version. There's longer versions if you want to study it, and it's helpful. But here's the short version, because if God, if, the, if evil doesn't exist, if you don't have the ability to turn from God, then turning to God means nothing. You are a robot. If you don't have the ability 
to create your own idol, to walk away from your father, to, to pursue something else as opposed to him. If you don't have that ability in this world, then you're turning to God. Your love for him is you're an automaton. It would be no different that if you made a recording and put it in a little robot, push the little button, right, and it just over and over said, Dave, I love you. Dave, I love you. I love you, Dave. I love you. Dave, I love you. Like, I could get into that for a few minutes, <laughs> right? Because I like being loved. <laughs> but I'm the one who created the recording, so I'm, I'm, I already love myself, so we're already there, right? So how long can that go on? Well, if you're a narcissist, a long time, apparently. But even narcissists eventually realize that's meaningless, right? So think about that for a second. So that's why this is so important, this striving thing. If we're going after something, and this is what Jesus said, it's very interesting. He said, in, in trying to obtain your life, in doing everything that you can make your life the way you think it ought to be, he said it this way. He said, you lose all of it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you get your life. Another one of those seeming contradictions in Scripture. So what does that mean? It always comes back to, if it, there's, everybody has a worldview. Right? Whether you believe in God or not, bad things still happen to good people. So you're still going to have to work out a worldview, right? I mean, I remember talking to an atheist one time. This always fascinated me. And he said, you know, I don't believe in God at all. And I'm like, I don't really think that, that that's true. I, don't, I, I personally have never met a true atheist. I've met tons of agnostics, people who think they're atheists but maybe haven't really thought through their worldview. And here's one way, one way you can tell. I mean, just practically speaking, it's very difficult to be an atheist, to believe there's no God. Because to believe there's no God, let's take, you know, you, do you, I ask the question, do you know 100% of what's what, all knowledge in the universe? And the guy's like, well, I, I read Wikipedia, so almost. <laughs> right? So like, we'll narrow it down. Usually it ends somewhere under 1%, you know, 0, 0, 0, you know, because they're just trying to be conservative. So I'm like, oh, so, okay, so 99% of all the knowledge in the universe, you don't know it, right? And they're like, right. Could God be in that 99%? Answer, of course, is yes, <laughs> right? Well, then you're not an atheist. You're an agnostic. You just don't know. Man, that really messes with some people's heads, right? But the end result, what we really discover is it's really not usually about that. Most of the time people say, I'm an atheist, because the, the ramifications are I have no responsibility to a higher power or a higher authority. We see that running rampant in our nation right now, that laws mean nothing if they don't mean anything to me, right? So, I mean, if I break something that's yours, what do I care, right? You break something of mine, now that's a different story. Right? See how that works? And so we get this. There's this thing, this striving thing that the world is trying to get something that ultimately God has already given, but God has given it in the context of a relationship with him, and so you can't have the thing that God offers without the God who offers it. Ultimately, that's just what it comes down to. So Psalm 95, this is very interesting because it's talking about Israel's failure in that particular passage in, in uh, Hebrews 4.11. It says, no one may fall by the same, act, same sort of disobedience. It's talking about the children of Israel. So let's just cover that quickly before we wrap it up. This is Psalm 95, starting in verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Remember that walking in the cool of the day, right? That's what he's referring to in this passage because Jesus hadn't come yet. 
Verse 8, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. So in other words, there, there is evidence, I've said this many times, that demands a verdict about God. If you say there's no evidence, then what, I know because I said that. <laughs> And my personal experience is there is evidence. And many people's personal experience is there is evidence. But you must be intellectually honest. If you don't want to know about God, then there are plenty of excuses for you never have to worry about or find out about it. Till one day, the Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So everybody's going to bow. Some people are going to bow now here in mercy. Some people are going to bow in judgment. But everybody, everybody is going to bow. Right? That's just the way it is. Because God, it's not like a fight between the devil and God and somehow the devil's going to win. The Bible tells us exactly what happens in Revelation and, and all the other prophecies proven true. So it looks like that's what's going to happen. So it goes on. It says, verse 10, For 40 years I was angry with you, with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. Right? So it's, again, a picture of God's trying to reveal himself, has revealed himself, but they don't want to know. It creates problems. And this is what he said at the end of this, verse 11. Very interesting, intriguing. He said, so I declared an oath in my anger to this group of people. They shall never enter my rest. So here's the thing. That that has to be held in the context of the new covenant and grace and mercy, right? Otherwise, the only only thing we see is a, a season of revelation of who God was. And so all of that is valid. It's not that that doesn't exist. It's just it was building to the revelation of grace eventually in the new covenant. But in this moment, he says, if you don't want anything to do with me, then this is what'll happen. You won't ever get rest. Now, here's the thing. That means if you're not, if you choose not to become a believer or follower of Christ, that means you never get rest. Like, what is hell really? You know, we talk about flames, and does the Bible talk about actual flames um, burning? Yes, it does, actually. It talks about flames in darkness, which is really weird because most flames create light, but apparently in hell, the flames in hell don't even create light. So isolation, loneliness, darkness, turmoil, terror. This Bible says literally no rest ever. Why? Because you've, you've chosen to, to separate yourself from God. God never chose to separate himself from you. As a matter of fact, everything in the scripture and everything in the gospel is him showing he wants to connect to you. He has connected. He's done it all. All you have to do is believe in, the, in his son. That's all you have to do is do it his way, right? But so often in our, in our arrogance, in our anger, in our rebellion, we refuse to do God's thing God's way. Most of the time, we, sometimes we even refuse to believe that he exists. And the Bible says that you have to believe that he exists first if you're even going to come to him, right, and see his blessing come in your life. So he says, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. But Jesus came, and again, his whole intention was to turn that around. So this is Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 again, and I'm almost done. Jesus identifies himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the restorer of all things. And so this is a passage in Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. We read part of it before. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, right? And I will give you rest. So his promise is that the rest is on the other side of coming to him. Without coming to him, you might sleep, but you're not going to rest, not in a biblical sense. 
And then he says this. And again, this contrast of seeming oxymoron says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So maybe you rest in your physical body when you're tired, but your soul, your mind, your will, emotions, never rest. Because everything that you are is tied to who he created you to be. And any violation of that is going to create a perpetual state of unrest. And you know what happens? You drink to push it down. Right? Do drugs to push it down. Work hard in business and put your head down and go after those things, whatever those things might be, to ignore the fact that there is absolute unrest in your soul. Right? As Jesus says, very interesting, come to me, who, you who are weary and burdened. First of all, you have to admit it. I, I'm actually weary and burdened, right? That that's what the world is grabbing hold of me and trying to give me, that's trying to offer me something. And he says, but I offer you something in exchange. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, um, Susan Athey's done a great job in teaching into this yoke thing. God gave her a tremendous revelation, and she explains it amazingly well. It's in one of our previous messages here at DCF. But at your time connected as a yoke to two oxen, but it turns out that in, in that scenario, Jesus is the big ox and you're the little ox, right? So yeah, you're connected to him, but how much, can we be honest, how much are you actually pulling when you're yoked with Jesus? And see, that's the point. That's the point. The point is, if you're not yoked to Jesus, you're pulling it all yourself. And, and, and you can't do it. Nobody can. You get to the end of your life. I, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed with people at the end of their life. And, and I ask them, I'm like, um, you know, do you want to accept Christ? And some have, literally on their deathbed, and some have not. But it's amazing to me that some people will go in absolute rebellion with anger on their face, going into eternity with this, this absolute unrest, knowing that that's their eternal state. They're in a continual state now of unrest. And then I've watched people who have been in unrest their whole life. They've leaned their ladder against the building of success, got to the top, found out it was the wrong building. You know the story, right? But now they're saying, I missed it all. Would God have mercy on me? And the answer is absolutely. Not only would he, he already has. And they put their trust in him. And you can literally watch a change in their countenance. Their physical countenance changes. All of the burden to carry, you know, the Pilgrim's Progress, he talks about a a backpack full of weight that it it falls off, you know, if you will, and rolls down the hillside into a pit never, never to be seen again. The worries, the concerns, what are the things that matter to you? And the question is, why do they matter? Do they actually matter to God, right? We, We talk about this all the time, what's eternal? What matters to God? I can tell you what matters to God, you do. Not this building, not this facility, not this property, not any of these things. The Bible says everything around us is going to burn up. It's all going to go away. Even, even the entire earth, the Bible says, is unrest because of the fallen state of man. But one day all that goes away and a new heaven and a new earth comes. This is what the Bible teaches. And it will be a new heaven and a new earth and rest. No more crying, no more tears. All the old things have been passed away. He, the Bible says he's going to wipe away every tear. We talked about this last week. And it's going to be settled. It's going to be finished. There won't be any more unrest ever. But today is not that day. (laughs) Right? So today we live in this concept of the kingdom come and the kingdom not yet. That's a simple thing. It's the tension of it. Here's 11.13, Hebrews 11.13. 
All these people died, still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. So what is that talking about? Is Hebrews talking about the old men and women of faith who saw something that God was bringing. He saw, they saw they were promised the Sabbath rest, but had not settled it into it in their own lives. They were still in that pattern of, of offering sacrifices for sin, right? And they saw forward to a day when Jesus would come and offer eternal rest for our souls. That all of the striving that we have been striving for, the, the striving to matter, the striving for purpose, the striving for self-identity, that we have any worth or any value in and of ourselves, which so many people struggle with nowadays. Their identity. They can't decide whether they're a man or a woman. And I'm not making fun of that. I'm saying that that is a fundamental, what we would say, a, a established truth of biology. And it doesn't matter. When you're, when you're broken in our humanity, so many people are broken to the point where their identity, even in their sexual identity, their gender, whatever you want to call it, is confused. And I don't minimize that. That's a really big deal. How would you like to be in a body that you felt, did not feel like was yours? What can bring you rest? The discovery I've made, the people I've connected to have struggled with some of those issues and some of those challenges, and finding Christ have settled their identity because their identity was never in their sexuality in the first place. Right? It's not in your political leaning. It's not in your white or your black, so it's not your race. Where is it? It's found in you were created to be loved by God and to love Him back. And in that place of rest, this is what Jesus, Jesus offers He says, Now I'm, I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you this rest. You can taste it here on earth, right? It's not complete. There's still some things that are lacking because the enemy's going to throw unrest at you from every direction. But even in this world of unrest, you can have rest because it comes in Christ, right? It comes in your relationship with Christ. And in the tension of the kingdom come, Jesus has brought the kingdom. It's been established. But then he teaches us to pray as disciples. Bring heaven. What is up there? The rest, the fullness of it up there. It's yours to bring here, which is why you're still here if you're a Christian. Because see, if, you weren't, if there wasn't a reason for you to still be here, why wouldn't Jesus just save us, right? And when that's settled, just whisk us away, man. Like, wouldn't that make sense? But it turns out that part of the reason we're here is in finding rest, the mission that we have now as sons is to go to the other sons and help them find this rest that you and I have discovered. It's why you and I are still here. So let me just wrap it up with a simple thing. Just wrap it up with this. God's intent, I started with this at the beginning. God's intent is a continual state of blessing and fruitfulness. I have discovered financially, the Bible says to be content with whatsoever you have, right? So there, that means, for, let me put it in practical terms, that means I've had days where I've eaten bologna sandwiches and I was happy to get it, <laughs> right? And there are times when I'm eating steak and I'm much happier when I'm eating steak, Okay? But I've learned to be content with either scenario. So we're in a serious situation with COVID-19, people losing their jobs. I mean, all kinds of things happen. The world is changing as we know it. feels like it's just on a roller coaster. Well, that's a choice that you actually get to make. Do you get on the roller coaster or don't you? You don't have to get on the roller coaster. Doesn't it freak people out when, when you're really, really, some of you experienced this and shared this with me. 
um, it really freaks people out when you're calm. You know the most frightening person in the world is when you threaten them with death and they're calm? Makes me wonder, right? It's kind of like a dog, that, you know, this big dog with, you know, muscles, and it's not barking, and I'm in, it, in the yard, and I'm like, I'm going to back out of here slowly <laughs> because there's something going on on the inside that I can't see on the outside, right? And it turns out that the pressure that's, that's created from rest on the inside begins to create a counter pressure from all the force and the pressure and the worries and the junk that comes from the outside. And it turns out that this internal pressure can push the external pressure away. But sometimes we don't feel that way, right? But Jesus talks about all the time, it's got nothing to do with whether you feel it or not. The question is, do you believe it or not? And there are going to be aspects, I said before, where what we're praying for, one of them is healing. We're praying and trusting the Lord for healing. And, and, and we know that it's not, uh, let me give you an example of how, this, how silly we can get with this. I go up to pray for somebody to, to be healed. Now, my theology is maybe not completely right just yet. I haven't thought everything through. I'm still studying, whatever. And I pray and I beg God to heal them as if I want them healed more than he does. So what does that say to your theology about how you see God? That somehow you either have to twist his arm, right? Or you have to, you have to force him or you have to hold him to his word. Or, I mean, these nuances, you understand where I'm going with this. And we do this all the time. God, if you really loved me, you would give me this new job that's coming. And you don't know, in your head, that job is everything in a bag of crackers, right? Is that a thing, a bag of crackers? Maybe a bag of chips. Anyway, it's an English term. <laughs> you get the job, and the job is, yeah, it's more money, but it's also tons of pressure, and you don't see your family ever. Huh. Maybe it wasn't a good idea for you to take that job in the first place. Here's my point, and let me just kind of end with this. If at some point, if you walk with God in the cool of the day, and you say, God, there's been this incredible offer of a job. I have to move away, leave my church, leave friends that I have. I have to start all over in a new place. Well, it turns out you can find a scripture for that with Abraham, right? He left his, his home, left his family, went on a journey looking for a city. I can spiritualize that all day long and be a liar, <laughs> right? Because what I really want to do is I'm sick of the problems here, I'm sick of the issues. It's challenging me to actually grow up, and I really don't want to grow up. I'd rather just be still. So if I move to a new location, here, listen, I get at least a year of, of rest, right, in the sense that nobody knows me, so they don't have any expectations of me. I have to build relationships. You know, I can get away with doing nothing for at least a year. I don't have to work on my marriage. I don't have to work on my parenting. I don't have to work on my own character. I don't have to grow at all. I don't have to, I don't have to be a disciple. I can just skate. So is that why I'm going? <laughs> or you can say, you know what? I'm so fearful of leaving. God's wanting me to actually go do that. Start all over again. But I'm so fearful because I love my family and I love my friends and I want all this. And it's easier here. And so now the issue, turns out, has nothing to do with going there or staying here. It has everything to do with what's God's best intention for your life. And do you believe it and do you trust him? Because if you say yes to that, you hear the Lord say, I want you to go here. It's clear as day. You've got clarity on you're supposed to move. You're supposed to start all over again. Then can you trust God that his intention for you is good even if it's challenging? Most of us have done this to some degree, right? But what if you could walk in a perpetual state like that, that you're just in a place where not that you're letting things happen to your life, 
Because remember, Jesus said, there's this nuance where Jesus said, pray for heaven to come to earth. Go after healing. It's not on his side, so it must be down here somewhere. Okay, well, let's work through. Is it my unbelief? Is it, is it your unbelief? Is it, is it a combination of the, all of that? I don't know, but let's go after that, right? Let's, let's, let's go after that in his rest and go, God, talk to us about how to see breakthrough and how to overcome. And we begin to see God move in, in, in big and amazing ways, but it goes back to, at the end of the day, I'm content. Whether I see the fullness of heaven come in heaven or here, I know the one who loves me, and I've settled my heart in him, and I'm listening for his voice, and I'm doing what he says. And this last thing I'm going to say, this is the two questions of a disciple. Very simple. If you follow this, this is the easiest way to walk in discipleship. That's this. What is God saying? So we know somewhat from Scripture what he's already said, right? What is God saying? And secondly, what am I doing about it? That's the question. So I want to leave you with this. If you want to find rest for your soul, you must take someone's yoke upon you. You can have the yoke that comes automatically, the yoke to responsibilities, the expectations, whatever the world is asking for you, or you can settle into the yoke and the responsibility that comes from heaven that also comes with a commensurate amount of authority to do what God has asked you to do. He will never ask you to do something. He's not giving you authority to walk in. Humanity will give you responsibilities without the authority. And and often you'll see tyrants take authority with no responsibility. But God's heart is I want to give you, you are a son. And I've drawn you into this life because I have something for you to do. I have a mission. I've called you to it. And with that mission, I am empowering you with everything that you need And one of the primary, most important things you can have is this continual state and sense of rest and fruitfulness, blessing and fruitfulness that doesn't come from your own striving. It comes from something he has already given you. Amen? I hope this series has been helpful. Won't you stand with me? We're going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, there's so much we're learning. God, and have learned already, but so much we're still learning. So God, you said to come and follow you, and that's what we're doing. And so as we do that, Lord, our trust and our heart is, as we walk with you in the cool of the day, um, Jesus, you're going to speak to our souls. You're going to challenge us, Lord, to come up, uh, not to try to get you to come down, but you're going to challenge us to come up to the potential that you've created inside of us, Lord. But let it never come from a striving an internal striving, Lord, for anything other than to strive, as Scripture says, to enter your rest. Lord, to settle in my heart that you're good, to settle in my heart that you are busy, Lord, bringing about blessing and fruitfulness in my life, and that the goal really is not to try to accomplish or make something happen, but to discover what you have already been doing all along, and to align myself with that, to come into fruition, Lord, of a, of a, of a blessed restful walk in the cool of the day with you. Lord, let our future, regardless of what's happening in the circumstances around us, this changes nothing about what you've asked of us and the mission you've called us to, the joy, the amazing joy that is ours because of who you are and what you've done for us. And so we settle our hearts in that and say thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your kindness. And Lord, send us on this incredible mission in new ways and new adventures. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
If you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Um, if you will, just um, stay in your seat as everybody else is kind of leaving. If you want prayer, stay in your seat. Maybe wave at us and we'll send someone over to pray for you if you need ministry. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we'll see you next Sunday.